Burr, it's cold in here. I said there must be some Toros in the atmosphere. I know you didn't think a white girl made that shit up. It's Gabrielle with the shade. <laughs> <laughs> or in this case, Misan. <laughs> I stand by that. I stand by that. Um, anyway, if you guys can't tell, we're talking about Bring It On today. <laughs> yeah, this is a classic. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this one. Because I think it is the movie that, if actually read very closely, could solve all of America's racial problems. Oh, wow. So you're saying <laughs> yeah. that we should be the cheerocracy, is what you're saying. If cheerocracy... We should actually be a cheerocracy, because a cheerocracy is a true meritocracy. Look at that. Welcome to the ROM pod, ROM squad. Hi, guys. Um, I'm the ROM god, Nana. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's Sunday. I'm Misan. <laughs> I... hi guys (laughs) all right all right all right um blasphemy slash sacrilege aside let's go on with the show all right so nana you want to tell us why we're doing this as always oh yeah okay so and in case you did not realize it um you're listening to hial yat spelled with an h-e-a because H-E-A is happily ever after in ROM speak. And this is a romance genre focused pod, uh, podcast. And so basically the idea here is that we are two badass lawyer ladies who are just looking for little pockets of pleasure, love in our lives. And we have decided to, you know, take up like a piece of content every two mm-hmm. weeks that has to do with romance yeah. and try to analyze it and look for the deeper meaning and just enjoy it um yeah because we're chasing joy in these very dry and dark times <laughs> Makes me think it's like it was a dark and stormy night and guys we're bringing you all along for the ride rom squad so thank you to our loyal listeners yep and speaking of the rom squad so our last episode when we talked about Notting hill in our ROM news segment, we asked you guys, ROM squad, to send us your voice notes uh, or memos about thoughts about the, you know, that big grand gesture that that author attempted that failed and she fell flat on her face with it. And to see what you thought about that and like talk to talk generally about vulnerability. So we've got a voice note from Nadine, who is a loyal ROM squad member. So listen to her and then after that, we'll come in and give you our thoughts. Vulnerability is for suckers, and that's why I'm in therapy, because I believe vulnerability is for suckers. That's my voice note about grand gestures in big moments, and yeah, no, vulnerability is trash. But I'm working on it. All right, so that was Nadine. Uh, I think we can say that she is a self-aware queen, and I'm not just saying that because she's my friend. <laughs> yeah, no, she's very self-aware. I mean, it's interesting, though, because I feel like she 
isn't sold on the idea of vulnerability. It's more like someone told her that she has to be vulnerable, so she's going, she's getting it fixed. True, (laughs) true. Yeah, like, she's like, that's why she's talking about it with her therapist, right? Well, so, but, you know, in our last episode, we did say, like, it seems clear that the love love stories that we've seen uh, and talked about so far and that we read or watch, like, you know, in our HEAs, it requires some vulnerability. I mean, I guess vulnerability means different things to different people. For some people, it's, you know, uh, baking cookies and sending them long distance is some measure of vulnerability. While for other people, you know, it's flying across the country to talk to your ex-boyfriend and see if he's going to be yeah. interested. So it depends. But I think I think you need vulnerability. But it's the, pro- the issue, like Nadine said, it's trash because it's hard. So it sucks. And you have no... Like, like your ROI is not guaranteed. So that's a real problem. Yeah. Well, maybe the return is like personal growth or something kind of like ephemeral. Ugh, fine. <laughs> yeah. Personal growth. Like, you guys don't see me. I just did this. I did an eye roll with my whole body. Like, personal growth is for suckers. It's not. Oh, it's not. See, it's not. Look, personal it's like you and Aideed are just <laughs> undermining this entire idea. <laughs> No, guys, I'm sorry. That's not that's not true. Personal growth is important, and we want to be part of that personal growth, right? Totally. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nadine, and we hope that you find the right balance in terms of vulnerability. Just stating and putting yourself out there on a podcast, I think, is something. Um, even if you did it with a little yeah. bit of snark, which we all know is a defense mechanism. Girl, I see you because I do the same. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> no, Nadine, I actually love you and I see a lot of myself in you. That's why I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing. I would do the same thing. But we really do appreciate yeah, hearing totally. from you. And I think that you're maybe being a little more vulnerable than you think you are because For coming sure. out there and telling us your thoughts is an act of vulnerability. And we are honored and we thank you very much for that. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, Well, now I guess we get into Bring It On, an iconic high school movie. Uh, And so it's time for our At First Sight segment. Okay, well, I guess, do you want me to start, Misan? Yeah, you can go for it, Nana. Okay, this movie, I distinctly remember it came out right before school, or maybe either right before school or like the first few weeks of school, in the summer of 2000. Why do I remember this, you may ask? Mm -hmm. Because it was the summer between middle school and high school. And, oh, I I, I remember. Because my cousins were visiting from London, and they were so cool. And I was like, let's go to this movie. Like, bring it on. It's supposed to be really good. And, like, I wanted to see it. And they're from, like, South London. One's from, actually, one's from Tottenham, and the other's from South London. And they're kind of like, I don't want to see this, like, cheerleading movie. I want to see the King's original Kings of Comedy. So, like, they went to see the original Kings of Comedy, <laughs> and I saw Rick and <laughs> And I felt so... Honestly, that probably tells so much. <laughs> it says so much. <laughs> I felt so, like, I actually, like, there was a part of me that felt, like, a little lame, suburban, super whitewashed, because they were, like, going to see this rated R movie mm. with black comedians and I was seeing this movie about like white cheerleading girls um, but mm. <laughs> but the movie redeemed itself in some ways uh, I, I don't even remember who I saw it with maybe some friends but I really enjoyed it I loved Gabrielle Union we had a little bit of flavor from black with the Q-U-E and so it ultimately yes, that's right. worked out and 
you know, that movie is so iconic. Like, there's just so many scenes and so many lines. And, like, I knew from the beginning that first scene where they're doing, like, the cheer. Like, I'm sexy. I'm cute. I'm popular to boot. I'm bitchin'. Great hair, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, this is, what is this? It just, like, seemed so silly and quirky and very self-aware, kind of campy, you know? Yeah. Um, And so I, I immediately got that this was not, like, a typical teen movie. That it was, like, I don't know if whether it was subverting or at least sort of satirizing something. I didn't have the language at the time, you know, but I knew that it was like very self-aware and making fun of something. And so I was like pulled in from the beginning and my friends and I just always were quoting lines from this. Like, I think this was like one of the most quotable teen movies before Mean Girls. Do you know what I mean? Like Mean Girls came on the scene. Yeah, I think it's this. But before that, it was this. Yeah, I think what's this and Mean Girls, I would say for, like, teen movies of our time, that seems so quotable. Yeah. Um, I agree. Because Mean Girls, I think, is, like, 04 or something, right? Like yeah, our senior year. So I, I have a story was... about that when we yeah, do our, when we Yeah, do our senior year. That movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> anyway, but, yeah, I think, I, think, I think it was so quotable. Um, so, yeah, I have a similar story. Well, not the London cousins, although I do have cousins in London. Um, I saw it was it was the summer before our freshman year um, and there was something about feeling like like seeing a high school movie and having it sort of be um, maybe like a good depiction of what we thought high school might be you Mm -hmm. know Um, and it was almost it almost felt like it was like I think at the time I was like 13 I thought it was like going to be like maybe like slightly educational about oh this is like yeah. what high school might be like this is what you should prepare for this is what it's like just like a general sort of like um almost like a like a peek into what I was about to experience of course it was nothing like that but it was like a good preparation <laughs> I saw it in this, the but we talked about this in our Sweet Valley episode yeah Sweet Valley <laughs> we talked we've talked about this before so this is not new um I saw it in the theater with friends I don't remember who with and I think it was one of the few movies like. Um, that I, I was able to see and not have like a chaperone in the back, although I might I might be wrong about that. Um, but I saw it and I just remember being very excited by it. Um, so do you want me to kick into the plot or any more? Yes, I... ma'am. You know you're a plot. No, you know you're a plot person. Okay. So we open, and as I said, there's this opening scene where the girls are doing this, like, really goofy cheer where it's, like, super satirical. Like, their lines, like, uh, we're sexy, we're cute, we're popular to boot, we're bitching, gray hair, all the boys like to stare. Like, it's, like, playing on all the stereotypes and tropes about cheerleaders, right? And so then there's this huge, Mm -hmm. like, sort of, it looks like it's a big sort of cheer and then our protagonist wakes, like our, our protagonist at the end, it's like introducing Torrance. And that's the character played by Kirsten Dunst and she's naked. And so we're like, what? Turns out she's dreaming. She's having an anxiety dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it opens and we're in a rich suburb of like San Diego or something. It's Southern California, maybe La Jolla, I don't know. Um, and yeah. this girl is played by Kirsten Dunst. She has like the requisite dad and mom who like have jobs we don't know what they do but they always look like they're reading the paper and ready to go to work um and then like the gross little brother who's like a ferguson type you know like from clarissa explains it all just like annoying gross little brother um and Mm -hmm. she she, a boyfriend who was a cheerleader at her school and is now going off to college 
and he you know takes her to school and we learn oh this is the big day because they're gonna name who the cheer captain is and so we immediately understand that like this the stakes are so high and around cheerleading mm. for this character and like in this world like this is a movie not about high school where the girl's a cheerleader this is a cheerleading movie where the characters happen to be in high school you know yes <laughs> so, that's such a good way to put yeah. that that's exactly right and so Torrance is like named by like the bitchy ex-captain um whose name is Big Red Torrance is named cheer captain and like immediately like she tries to do something challenging and somebody breaks their legs so they have to audition you um like a replacement funny audition scene and then we get eliza dukeshu i can never say her last name uh who yeah i think it's dukeshu yeah who's like kind of like a gothy girl with awful white girl dreadlocks and like fake tattoos and stuff and she's like grungy and she's really good at gymnastics and the team is like oh but she's gross insert uh you know homophobic slurs Slur. yeah insert homophobic yeah. slurs but uh, Kirsten Dunst Torrance uh, finally gets her way and then we get Missy Eliza Duke she's character who joins the squad so she's assembled the squad a bunch of things happen. One of them meet is that she meets a guy that she thinks is cute. Turns out to be Missy's brother. Is played by an adorable Jesse Bradford. Ugh, he is so yeah. cute. I just want to take him home. I know. I <laughs> just put him in my pocket he and take him home. And put me in your yeah, pocket. Yeah. And so <laughs> he's. <laughs> I was gonna make that sexual. But anyway, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, maybe, perhaps. He was 20 at the time. You know my rule. I always look up the ages. So, <laughs> you do. So it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> um, okay, so Missy's going to join the squad, and then she hears one of their cheers, and she's like, yo, like Torrance, we got to go to East Compton. Let, let me show you something. Turns out they've stolen the cheers, unbeknownst to Torrance, from a <gasps> like from a squad Ooh. of black girls headed by Isis, who is played by um, what's her name, Gabrielle Union. This was before Isis, the terrorist group, became a thing. So <laughs> yeah, just a, that's a good disclaimer. Not that I'm glad disclaimer. you made that point there. <laughs> and so it's Isis, like the Egyptian goddess, um, and so. Yeah. There's a confrontation, and they're like, you white girls are always stealing our cheers. We're not going to let you this time. Torrance is like, but I didn't know. And then they, like, go back to their <laughs> they go back to their cheer <laughs> squad. I'm going to say, Nana, you do a great Kirsten does. You should take the act on the road. <laughs> they Sorry, go back to their going. cheer squad. Part of them are, like, kind of typical white people and we'll get into this which is like it wasn't our fault that we stole like we worked hard so let's just take the like let's my just... ancestors were slaves but i'm not a, I'm a slave master slave owners it's but not me though it's not me who it's owns. not me specifically why are you getting mad at me um <laughs> so torrance is uh trying to convince the squad to do the right thing and like actually come up with uh what you might call it uh a cheer of their own. An original routine. Original routine. Yeah. But the rest of them are like, it's not our fault that our old captain stole. Like, this is like what we need to get to nationals. Um, so, you yeah. know, begrudgingly, they do the cheer. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Just, yeah. to, just to clarify. So, 
Uh, it's um, when Torrance takes over, it's made clear that their cheerleading squad is a five-time national champion. Yeah, yeah. So that's why the stakes are even higher. Yeah, the stakes yeah. are higher. Like I think they're going to regionals, but it's assumed that they're gonna end up at nationals eventually. So yeah, it's always yeah. like that talk. Yeah. Um, they're like, we don't have time for a new routine. So and she has like a couple of like bitchy antagonists on her team who are always trying to um, undermine her. I don't even remember their names. It's not important, but they're. Th- Courtney, Courtney and another one. Yeah. But I always thought it was, I thought it was, I always thought it was great that the bitchy, like the two bitchy sort of cheerleaders, like one was a white one, but the other was this Asian yeah. American woman. I yeah. Know, and I thought that was like, and it wasn't like commented on as anything that was like sort of remarkable, not that it should be, but it just, it was like, just like that, like, oh, that's just thrown in there. Like, these are the people that are bitchy. So I yeah. thought that was Yeah. There was like no like sort of Asian trope in that. It was just like. Oh, like the and no, she was she was like, one she, she was, was a, stupid she was like a ditz and she was yeah, bitchy yeah. so you know um, yeah. no t- like stereotypes but then um, so they are the ones who like push to just keep doing the routine they go to their game to um, to cheer we learn that their football team is terrible which we'll talk about at some point because that's also Trash. interesting and so they just use the time to like practice and get the crowd pumped with their cheer they're doing it but wait the clovers which is the East Compton team comes and shows them up by doing their cheer and doing it better simultaneously. So the whole crowd can see like, wait, why, what? And so like, it's like the whole demonstration is like, we, you stole our, like our cheer and everybody knows it now. And so finally Kirsten Dunst's character Torrance is like, okay, now can we do a new cheer? And everybody, including the crowd is like, yeah, you got to, because that's embarrassing. They came to your turf and showed you up. Okay. And did it better. And did it better. And so there's like a romance, like we'll talk about that a little separately, but like meanwhile she's getting a flirtation with Jesse Bradford's character, whose name is Cliff, who's like this kind of like grungy kid who's like into the clash and like the Ramones and it's clear he's very indie. Uh, and mm. and he's Missy's brother. And so when she's like hanging out with Missy and going to Missy's house, he's there. Um, and she like Missy's becoming her friend and confidant and they're trying to figure out what to do. She ends up calling her boyfriend who's now at college because like I guess she like looks up to him and he gives her this terrible idea to use a choreographer, a professional choreographer who is I don't remember the guy mm-hmm. who played it, but this character is so iconic, Sparky Pulastri, because he's like a riff on Bob Fosse. Like, and so he's like really demanding, mm. where it's all black. He like is constantly yelling at them to like do their spirit fingers. He's like emotionally abusive and is like popping pills all the time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so, constantly. And so he has them do a routine, which they take to regionals. Um, but then in another embarrassing twist, right before they're going, another team does the same exact routine. And the best part is that the routine starts with that song that's like but like the beginning is like some yeah there's a because I don't remember this in the original song but in this in the version of the movie it's like prepare for a total domination domination and so as soon as you hear that and then the music you're like oh shit and so the other team does the routine and then they have to follow up and they do the same exact routine so it's humiliating 
Okay, so her boyfriend comes up to her because he went to like watch regionals and is kind of like, oh, girl, like you're so cute and you're a cute little cheerleader, but maybe you're not captain material. So like give it to the two bitchy girls who can like deal with the politics and you can just cheer your little heart out. And she's like, hmm, you know, you could tell she's not feeling great about that, but she's feeling shitty and I don't think she wants to deal with her bad relationship right now. He drops her off, puts his tongue down her throat and Cliff, Jesse Bradford, is like waiting at her house with like a mixtape and flowers and a button down shirt. Oh my God. Oh he's my so God. cute. The cuteness was just out of control. <laughs> it really like... was. And so he's. So sees... then you can see his little heart yes. breaking when he sees them kiss. He, and, oh and he's God. just. Oh, it's so heartbreaking because he was like waiting on like a chair in the front or whatever on the porch and yeah. his little heart breaks and then he kind of gives her the flowers. And he's like, here's a tape. It's cool. It's cool. Whatever. And then he like leaves and she's just kind of like, ah, my life is a mess. You know, she has that kind of frazzled look. Um, Yeah. All right. So she is it, you know, in the depths of despair. And then she listens to his mixtape. And it's like super inspiring because unlike her boyfriend, Jesse Bradford's character, Cliff, has always been super supportive of her, even though you can tell he, like, doesn't understand cheerleading, like, the stakes of it and probably thinks it's silly. Mm-hmm. He, like, has at times been like, oh, I believe you can do it. You know, you, you once you push through the bullshit, like, just kind of, like, you have the strength to, like, do well, right? And so he makes her this, like, punky yeah, mixtape right. that's, like, all about how much he, like, loves her. And she does this really silly dance, which I guess ex- inspires her to, like, want to, like, be the captain yeah. she should be, you know? Yes, uh, to be so, the bad bitch captain. Bad bitch That's captain. Right. So she goes back to her squad, and she's like, we're going to learn, like, we're going to come up with our own cheer. And she says something which will, um, you know, it's like she's basically like, we're going to, it's going to be hard work, but we're going to just, like, work our asses off and actually, like, work to deserve this. And they finally agree to do that. Mm. So they're in the midst of, like, learning. And I love this. They're, like, learning all these different dance moves. So there's, like, watch, they're, like, watching Sweet Charity, which is a Bob Fosse nod for all you, like, musical theater nerds. So we have, like, double the Fosse mm-hmm. in this movie. But they're, like, learning interpretive dance and swing dance and miming and all that stuff. And it's cool. But wait, the Clovers are not going to qualify. Why? Because they're poor and they're black. Mostly because they're poor. But <laughs> it's because they're poor, Nana. It was because it was because they didn't have the money. <laughs> it, was that, it was because they didn't have the money. <laughs> I'm just gonna add that racism, institutional racism, or systemic racism. I just want I repeat again for people that are because this is an audio only podcast. But I just want you to know that Nana was rolling her neck when you said they're poor and they're black. <laughs> just think that it's important for you guys to have that visual yeah and so they're like um Torrance is like what like they have to compete and her friends are like wait a minute then we'll just win because they're white people like it's very clear they're white <laughs> so they're, they're like they're like wait, I don't, I don't see the pu- issue you mean our biggest competition is not available <laughs> yeah I mean if the are the people who would actually give us a run for our money are no longer competing then we win and we can define ourselves as the best and she's like oh no that's what meritocracy is obviously (laughs) yeah that's what meritocracy has always been in america yeah she's like i define being the best as competing against the best and winning and then missy gives Mm. her kind of like a church amen 
nod, you know, she's like, yeah, girl. Mm -hmm. And so we, they, her team is like, oh yeah, I guess that's true. So then she does the thing where white girls, you know, rich white girls, where does she go? She goes to daddy. And so she's like, daddy, mm -hmm. like this team deserves to win and it's not fair or deserves to compete and it's not fair. And you're always telling me to like level the playing field because I guess her parents are liberal and her dad is like, okay, mm -hmm. let me talk to my company and see. And so she gets a check and she's like, here, Isis, I say white saved you. And she, Isis is like, nah, girl. And she's like, you could shove it. I usually didn't say those words, but she was just kind of like. Yeah, but she did rip, rip the off check the check. Because she's like, I don't need yeah. like your white guilt money. I don't need your like, you know, what is hush money or anything like that. We'll do it on our own. Yeah. Yeah. And at the yeah. time, I'm just going to add that like. And this is going to be a theme when we talk about this. I did not understand Isis's actions at the time. Like, I watched this when same, I was, like, 13. Same. I was like, why is she doing that? Yeah. But she, yeah. like, she, she, she says a line that's basically, like, I, you know, I don't want you to, like, like, assuage your guilt and then feel, like, okay for, like, everything that you've done to us, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And that, like, you can exactly. wake up thinking that you're, like, the best team. Um, and so she... And her clovers end up, um, and by the way, like the other, there are like three girls in, who, in the clovers played by black. So it's like, that's fun. Uh, black the group. The black the group. B-L-A-Q-U-E. Who was kind of like a TLC. Q -U -E, yeah, yeah Q-U-E, which is like kind yeah. of like a TLC ripoff of the early 2000s. There, I said it. But uh, less successful. <laughs> but obviously. less successful. Um, and so they put in like a like write a letter to an Oprah type talk show host and like who's from East Compton saying like we inspire our whatever our community and we really want the chance to go this black woman gives them the money and they go so it's like within mm -hmm. the black community they were able to find the support they needed and so yeah we end the movie at nationals everybody competes um, Cliff like magically ends up there. He like flies overnight. I'm assuming. I never understood that part because it's like. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't. Because we didn't see Missy's parents there. Were Missy's, Missy's parents, parents there? weren't there, and Cliff was not there the first day because she calls him at home and he misses the call. But then the second. Oh, day, you're right. He's there. This is oh, just that's a true. Little... It's so weird that her parents weren't there. Yeah. There's a little trutherism I have. Like, I'm like, I what's going on here? Yeah, we're suspend disbelief there. Okay. It's fine. It's okay. um, but everybody's there. The Toros, which is uh, Torrance's team, they perform and they get second place and the Clovers get first place. And the Toros are, like, excited that they got second place. At first, they're a little like, ooh, because they've always won first. But I think in a moment, they realize yeah. they actually won second. Their second place like is actually more merited and it came from working hard and yeah. pushing themselves and like they actually did it they actually yeah. did it and that feels better than winning first and taking it for granted and especially knowing that you only won first because you were extracting and exploiting for other people who never had the opportunity to, to compete themselves and so that was exactly. also interesting and we'll discuss that a little more um but yeah so we our main character get second place and we're supposed to be happy about that and she and um 
Kirsten Dunst, Torrance, and Isis kind of give each other looks of respect. Like, yeah, you brought it. Yeah, girl, you brought it too. All right. We brought it on. And that's like the end of the movie. And then there's like a fun little bloopers reel where they're all lip syncing to Mickey. And that is yeah. also very fun hey, and Mickey, iconic. Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so mm-hmm. fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. Hey, 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 Mickey. Yep. What I liked at the end um, was when, you know, uh, Kirsten was like, we were we were good, but you were, you were better. better. And then Isis is... Yeah, Kirsten Zons' character Torrance was like, yeah, but you were better. And Isis was, yeah, we were, weren't we? Yeah. Um, Black I, I, queen. I, I, I liked that. I know, a queen. <laughs> but what I liked about that is, is I think it's so, and this is general, like, just for women, it's so easy to be like, oh, yeah, but you were really good, too. Um, you know, sort of have that, like, a downplaying of achievements or mm-hmm. accomplishments, and especially for black women, but just generally with women. Um so I liked the two of them like owning the fact that they were rivals and it was competitive and it was healthy, but one team was better than the other and it was a challenge and then they're going to go back and do it again. Yeah. You wouldn't find like, you know, like with, like right now it's like NBA playoff season uh, and I've, I made Nana watch the playoffs with me a couple days ago, um, mm, yeah. but you wouldn't find that like, you know, if the Clippers and the Mavs are playing, right? And that, and the Clippers just beat the Mavs and move on, on to the next round, by the way, Nana. Oh, but okay. The Clippers win, and you know Kawhi Leonard and Luka Doncic are like shaking each other's hand on the middle of the, in the middle of the court, and uh, Luka Doncic, who plays for the Mavs, is gonna be like, "Oh yeah, you were good," and Kawhi be like, "Yeah, I was good, but I, I uh, you were good, but I was better." You wouldn't you wouldn't expect those two dudes to sort of be like, "Oh no, you were yeah, really good, I was really good." Like, no, we played. I was the winner based on the points because we played a better game. You played a great game as well. So I sort of like the fact that it was just like a clear. Um, rivalry that they played and that's what happened I think it's easy sometimes in pop culture when you see women competing with each other to have it be something that's like it's not as important or it feels like you know it's totally. less serious so it's like oh no you tried and I also tried and you know I it was just a fluke that I won and you didn't win you know and I like that they were owning and that no we both went and we're gunning for our best and one person won came out on top and next time we'll see who did like next year we'll see who, Love who does that. that so I, I like this that is- a lot this is the advantage of you watching sports because you have insights to things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Rom, why I'd expect to talk about the NBA playoffs on this episode or ever, but I, uh, you know, I contain multitudes, guys. So that's yeah. where we are. Yeah, here for the <laughs> anyway. sports. I'm here for the Bob Fosse and musical theater references. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so between that, you have a full, complex uh, podcast host. <laughs> Uh, right. So thanks, Nana. So that's a that's a plot summary. Uh, so now we're gonna shift into you know just our general thoughts like we always do. So let me give a little bit of background on Bring It On. So Bring It On premiered in theaters August twenty fifth, two thousand. So it'll be twenty one years coming up this summer, which is crazy. Um, you know, it was written by a woman that you know had you know. A lot of experience in the competitive like cheerleading world and she really wanted this to like she it was, she really wanted to have this she was very passionate about this project and it took her a while to like get people to see it take it seriously and buy it she was like going from people to people I think she mentioned in the oral history that Nana and I read that she had like 27 or 28 pitch meeting meetings where she was like rejected because people just didn't see um sort of what she was talking about why anyone would be interested or care about it because it was just like I think, and this is still a problem we see today, unfortunately, and this movie came out 20, almost 21 years ago, but they were just skeptical about this world being just about women, like something that was really 
a movie about what women cared about. There wasn't anything that was like a sort of like a bigger story. The stakes was this competitive cheerleading world, and it was going to be about high school girls. Um, and the men, they're men in the story, but they're not the focus. They're mm-hmm. sort of tangential. They're incidental to what's happening. The story is about these women and their passion for competitive cheerleading. So I think it was a hard sell for um, her to make it to a bunch of, to like make that argument to studio. So it took a quite a bit of a journey for her to get there. Uh, but when they made it and you know they were had it in the theaters, it brought in set around like seventeen point three million dollars its first weekend and was number one at the box office. It beat a Wesley Snipes movie. Misa, uh, I think the Wesley Snipes movie was qu- called The Art of War. Can I ask you? Go ahead. So does that also mean it beat the original Kings of Comedy? Yes, it did. So, so you actually, I wish, you know, honestly, you should send this part of the podcast to your to your British cousins and tell them, like, you know what? History showed who the real winner was in the end. Who made the right choice? It wasn't you. Spoiler alert. That's what you should tell them. Okay, good. I just wanted to clarify that. Like, just for care, just for, like, yeah, just, just to be clear. But yeah, it was, like, $17.3 million. And I think the budget was, like, eight or nine million dollars so like for it to make that in the first weekend and be number one and be the wesley sipes like action movie was crazy yeah and it was number one for the first three weeks it was in theaters and ended up grossing roughly like over 90 million dollars worldwide wow for which like for like a low budget movie about cheerleading uh and that's focused on like teen girls and you know their wants and not about like so like them competing for dudes or anything like that but competing just based on their athletic ability and something that they cared about that they think it should be a sport. It's pretty freaking cool. Yep. Yep. Um, so I wonder like what I find so interesting. I don't think Nana and I knew this would be the case when we watched this in 2000 in a theater, but this movie's so memorable. We've talked about like all these like quotables that we'll get into a little bit later, but I feel like the script is what, what really distinguishes it from it's, you know, peers and that it's really kind of biting, uh, it's like dressed up in like sort of like bright colors and cheerleading and poppy music but it's like just whip fast dialogue and um, Mm. one thing I was thinking as I was listening to it or like watching the movie is the dialogue actually reminded me a lot of like Grease the movie and that it's really fast and it has a lot of double entendre like sexual undertones but it's so fast that like Mm. you might blink it's like blink it and you might miss it kind of you know and and then there's a lot of sort of like snark and meanness even like you know um and so it's i feel like it's a type of movie that you could miss something and you watch again and you'll catch another line or you'll catch another thing. and that's what i find really interesting about it and enjoyable even now I agree. I agree. I will say that there are points as I was watching this, like rewatching it today to prep for our recording session. It was like, I was like rewinding, like, oh, I think they said something funny. Let me go back and listen to see what they're saying. Um, what did you think about sort of like the, just like, like the casual homophobia? And there's even, yeah. there's even parts of it where like, there's that, there's one of the male cheerleaders that's basically talking about how he like fingers one of yes. the, yes. uh, one of the women, one of the female cheerleaders, as he carries her up and has her in the holds, uh, because she doesn't wear spankies or she forgets them. And then we see it actually happening in uh, when they're at that football game that the football team loses like horribly, and like he, it's it, like implied that he, you know, fingers her, and then like he sort of like tries like smells his finger, and like that's just part of the. I was just I remember being like, this is, 
Yeah, it's just like it, it's a little, especially it's like icky. it's icky, and just like the whore and the slut, and just like that. Even the way that portrays the mean girls, like a lot of it is like, I mean, they don't really talk about um, what's her name, sex life, Torrance, but it's like clear, like she's like the good girl, and then they're like the dumb slut. Yeah, like she's very innocent and sweet. Yeah, and then the rest of it, it's 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 it's, it's it just was like the way like in which women were allowed and teen girls were sort of allowed to be depicted in movies and in pop culture at the time was very because this is around the time like Britney Spears you mm-hmm. know what I mean when she's really popular so it's just like very much part of that one and the same. Um, uh, well, keeping on with like thinking about like different moments, um, like we should probably like highlight uh, a couple of them. I mean, we already did birds cold in here, which I like. Yeah, love and, and it's just it's just like clever. It's iconic and it's also like the thing about this movie is that twenty one years from now I could go to so many people our age and say birds cold in here and they could do like the whole cheer, you know? It's like, yeah, and I think sure. it captures. I don't know how many of these are real, but you remember like when you were a kid, and especially I remember for like black things, like there are just like certain cheers that people Nick knew. And they would, like, kind of say, like, you know, mm. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly, yeah, yeah, you ugly. You ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you ugly. Or, like, yeah. just things like yeah. that. And it kind of captures that world. And I don't I, – that's why I think it's, like, really important that these really catchy cheers come from the black cheerleaders. Because I think there is this world of, yeah. like, black cheerleaders and, like, just these, like, cheers being orally kind of passed around, you know? Like – that's such a good point. Yeah. You're right. Like, there's something about that. Like, it's that, and it's just something that would be within that world that would not be as obvious or clear um, to, I guess, the white cheer squad coming to steal what they were doing. Yeah. And I, even the uh, cheers so, yeah. that we knew as a kid, like, I'm sure this came from a black cheerleader, the one that's like, you put your hands up high, your feet down low, and that's the way we do the gigolo, gigolo. And you're like, all these, oh, ones, yeah, these are clearly yeah, black girls. That's so <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah, like that, no. Like I, like I said at the top of the episode, I know you didn't think of white girls. Exactly. <laughs> so it's good. like. No offense, but just Yeah, saying. and so I just think it's really interesting how, like, it has that, like, catchiness of, like, folk cheer dumb, you know, yeah and like a lot of the cheers um yeah so what i thought interest like about the movie especially at the time is i had not um been really privy to the world of competitive cheerleading like i do think this was the movie that brought it to the forefront of like the popular imagination like it was always the subculture i think that's right and you know you, you think of like cheerleading as the girls who are cheering at the sidelines um for the boys right and it's always mm. dismissed and I think this movie kind of took a magnifying glass and it's like no that's what's happening on Friday and Saturday nights or whatever but like what are these girls doing like off season what are these girls doing during the week and yeah. they're they're competing in their own right and so yeah I just thought it was like for me and like I think that legacy of that is that we've seen so much more of competitive cheerleading like it, you know like it's almost like you can take it for granted that it's always been around like or or like something that in people knew culture. And cared about yeah yeah. Um, yeah as a pop culture like fixture yeah. yeah but i do credit like bring it on like i don't think we would have had netflix's cheer which is like a great 
um, docu-series about a cheerleading squad at, like, this community college in, like, Texas or something. But, like, we wouldn't have had that if it weren't for bringing it on, like, shining a light onto this world. Um, So, like, yeah, what what did you think about, like, the competitive cheering aspect? Like, was that surprising to you? Like, when you originally saw the movie, how did that resonate with you? Well, so, so it's funny because there are pictures of, like, third I think it's third or fourth grade Misan in like a cheerleading uniform that my uncle bought for me mm-hmm. um like a birthday present right so I was like obsessed with being a cheerleader oh I, like third or fourth grade. I do not I do not know why I do not know why to this day but he bought me I think says he bought me this costume and then I had like the pom-pom so I would like do cheers at home so my parents were like you like really care a lot about this so they sent me to this like cheerleading camp with these like high school like this high school cheerleading squad all these, and I remember being in awe of these girls at the time. They were like, you know, high school students. They were like so grown up with their hair, like their buns uh, and the makeup and the pom-poms. And, I, and I, I remember going and I had my like costume, my uniform, and the pom-poms like ready to cheer. But then, you know, it just was not, you know, past Misan's forte cheerleading, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Because they started doing like cartwheels and like, you know, flips. Uh, I think the best I could manage was the tumbling because they started with the tumbling yeah. and then you had to go to cartwheels and like, you know, handsprings and all that sort of stuff and like talks and everything. And I just, it became clear that it was not my destiny to be, you know, a high school yeah. cheerleader. But I remember being so fascinated with that. So being able to, but then having to drop it because it wasn't meant for me, but then being able to watch that movie because I know, like I'd seen a little bit of like the cheerleading competitions like, I tried, I tried to find them on ESPN, and at that time, I think it was, like, on, like, ESPN2 or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, 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 whatever network yeah. was available, yeah, um, that would show them. So being able to see it on screen and see, like, all these stars involved, I just I just felt like a, like a validation of those interests. Um, and what I like about the movie is that it, t- it takes it seriously. It's never a point, like, for all of its, like, sort of, like, biting wit and the fact that it's a bit satirical – it never ever like sort of like makes a mockery of these girls and what they care about yeah. and the stakes of this movie. It doesn't say like, oh, these are high school girls that are so concerned about like winning this championship and aren't they so silly? It never ever does that. It's just like, this is the world that you're in, you dropped and this is important to these protagonists so it's important to you and you feel it. It's not life or death, but it matters. Um, so and it's that's, just, why, that's why I love this movie. I like that you brought up that point because like if we were watching it at Friday Night Lights, like the original, the movie, it's like... They, mm-hmm. they would you never imagine that they would dismiss the stakes, even though it's football. At the end of the no, day, it's of a course game. not. Or if you're watching like dreams, or you're just watching these um, movies about boys' sports teams, right? There's never the assumption yeah. that you would be dismissive. But like what you're saying is that there was very much the opportunity because I think implicitly, oftentimes that's what we see in popular culture, right? Like the things that young mm-hmm. women or girls are competing in it's very clear that like the uh, the person who's making the content is doesn't see that yes. stakes as high and they like want to convey yeah. that the stakes aren't high and so I t- like I think this is the general through line we're seeing is that this is just a movie that takes something that is associated with the feminine and takes it as seriously as the things that are associated with masculine activity you know um Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it shouldn't be like revelatory, right? But it's just because we've seen the opposite of that so often. Yeah. Um, so to see like a movie do that and do it well, do it smartly um, and successfully, it's something that should, is notable and is important. 
Yeah. And the other thing I just kind of want to make a point about is that it's the fact that it's cheerleading, right? It's not girls basketball. It's not, I don't know, no. hockey. I don't it's know. It's not even gymnastics. It's not even gymnastics. Um, it's, it's not lacrosse. At, yeah. And I think it's that what is, this is what makes the movie a little like subversive is that oftentimes like, there's a, we have like very strong cultural associations with a cheerleader. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and reading that oral history, wh- like, I think one of the producers was saying, like, oh, I think what basically sold him on the idea is, like, oh, the cheerleading is, like, such a fascinating figure and the American mo- imagination. Essentially, like, either people, like, yeah. hated her in high school, people wanted to, like, fuck her, like, like whoever, or people wanted to be her. Yeah. And so it, it, yeah. it's, like, um, I don't know how you... It's, like, such, like, a cultural image, right? It's just... It's almost like a, it's like almost like it's like a lightning rod. Like yes, like a lightning a rod. rod. That's um, the word. Yeah, like it's something like like everybody has an opinion. Well, I mean, not to be sort of like you know dramatic about it, but like most people likely have an opinion about a cheerleader. Like and even like not maybe not even on purpose, but yeah. just because of how like the figure that it's been in pop culture for many years and movies and TV and just like watching even even when you watch a game and you have them on the sidelines or they perform during halftime like you you have a response to a cheerleader whether or not you mean to yeah and so you know even Eliza Dukeshu was saying that she didn't want to be in this movie she didn't think of herself as a cheerleader she was like those were the girls I was always fighting with growing up you know like it's Mm. funny because I can't think they're just these high school archetypes that are so sort of visceral Mm. to people and so to take that character Mm. who you're used to seeing in teen movies as like super bitchy hypersexualized like she only really exists as like eye candy and support for the boys and then show sort of a multitude like because we do have that character in like those two bitchy girls and then but we also have like the crazy ball buster Big Red and we have Torrance who's like a hardcore competitor and yeah. overachiever and so you're showing like a multitude and, you, and even the yeah and even with the bitchy girls like as much as it like oh yeah they're bitchy and they're saying they're playing dumb and that they want to sort of like first of all like lie down and roll over at the first sign of like trouble they're they're mm-hmm. competitors and they're good. they're, comp- they're totally, talented totally it's important to them they're they're bitchy it's like the sort of like you're right the stereotype what a cheerleader is but it's never anything that they don't take what they're doing seriously they're competitors in their own right like the like the uniting force for the team is that they want to be good they've won before they're winners and they want to be winners again they're champions and they want to do that again and that's important and it's clear and it matters and the movie never says ah eh, it's just a small little championship no it's a big deal yeah yeah, and I love, like, the opening scene where the girls are in the locker room because it kind of, like, I you, I think you're going to start to be able to tell. I love how movies introduce themselves, right? And there's this early scene yeah, where the girls yeah. are all in the locker room and they're all, like, in their pretty lingerie and, like, it just feels so, like, a John Hughes movie or, like, those 80s movies when it's, like, the guys peeping into the locker room, right? Um, and so you're kind of like, is this yeah. what this, you know? And then you're like, wait, they're actually saying things. And it's like, we have to pay, be paying attention yeah. to what they're saying. Oh, they have opinions. Yeah, they have opinions. <laughs> and wait, they're talking about something that seems really important to the plot. And and so I love how the movie kind of yeah. takes that. It's like, oh, we're the pretty sexualized cheerleaders. But wait, no, you can't just like fixate a gaze on us, right? Like there's, there's something going yeah. on here. Um, yeah. So... And- and that's a good segue to talk about, like, the cheerleaders that we meet, right? Like, so we have Torrance, Missy, and the Toros. So 
Torrance is like the captain taking over from Big Red. Like what like how did we talked a little bit about this about this already or about like how we sort of viewed Torrance as like the innocent like leader, but what was your response to her versus Missy, uh, the outsider versus like, you know, everybody else has sort of filled out the squad of the Toros. So Torrance is interesting to me in that I can't really place her on in the school's hierarchy. You can't really place any of the cheerleaders. Like mm. this movie is just not oh, interested true. in who the cheerleaders are, like what stratum they occupy or, you know, like it's just mm. the world of cheerleaders. It's not important to the, it's not important it's, to the film. It's not the important You're to exactly the, right. Yeah, which is very different for a teen movie about cheerleaders. So like Torrance, you feel like is mm-hmm. probably the popular girl, but she's not concerned about popularity. Um, she just cares about cheerleading. She doesn't even seem to care that much about yeah. school, um, you know, and so. True. When she meets Cliff, who is like this outsider punk kid, like part of me is thinking, like, is this going to be like a Valley Girl, like the movie thing where it's like the popular girl versus like the punk guy, you know? But I, mm. the movie doesn't even really mm. explore those dynamics because like it's not a movie about social class or social, you know? And so I think that's like yeah. kind of what I find interesting about Torrance is that like all you know her as is a hardcore competitive cheerleader who does like maybe like mm-hmm. some cutesy clothes and you know uh, but it's almost like you're watching a movie about a career woman or something and not, yeah. and not about a high school girl that's a good point yeah, yeah like just like that like overarching goal yeah she, and 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 to the uh, to the exclusion of almost everything else, even school. Like, we see her in class, but, like, there's, like, one scene of her in class, and that's really when she, like, meets Cliff. Yeah. And that starts off their story. But beyond that, it's it's not about class. It's not about school. It's about cheerleading. Yeah. And she just seems very open. Like, she embraces Missy, again, because her focus is, I want the best. I don't care what the dressing is. I don't yes. care what she looks like. I don't care exactly. what you group you associate with her she's the best like there's that line that's like missy's the shit so take a whiff oh i love it and so she's just like (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's like who wrote this i know (laughs) um so yeah but jessica i think her name is jessica bendinger or something i think she's the writer um and (laughs) listen she did a great job yeah so that that's Torrance and then Missy I think is just like it's like everybody's bringing again like we kind of talked about this in um, Notting Hill but like you have associations at least with Missy and um, Torrance like Kristen Dunst is always like yeah. the pure like girl who's sort of like kind of classic all American Madonna or mm-hmm. you know Madonna virginal character and then Eliza Dukeshu yeah. for those of you who are in the know and you should be or else I'll disown you is she was Faith and Buffy <laughs> Buffy don't let her disown you guys no I'm kidding if, on, if Nana disowns you I don't know that I can save you from excommunication I'm gonna be honest yeah no I'm kidding but she always, like in Buffy she played like the bad girl she's always kind of played that character yeah and so she bring you bring those she assist- was the foil to Buffy exactly. Exactly. Yeah, 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 and so yeah. you bring. I think they like brings those associations to those characters, and then the rest of yeah. What did you think of the rest of the cheer squad? I just think that like regardless of screen time, it just felt like they were very well drawn. Like you knew who they were. Like they're there in their full like bitchy glory, and you know someone like breaks her leg, or someone's dad is the one who's like funding a lot of their like extracurriculars with their cheerleading. But like it never felt like you know like Torrance is the protagonist and Torrance and Missy are who we see the most of but everybody else was like 
they mattered. You, you got a sense of who they were and yeah. what they cared about, even if they, like, the amount of screen time they had. I think that requires like good writing to have not everyone else just sort of be like um, caricatures. They weren't, they were people. Yeah. Um, and they were just all there. Um, even if they had like two seconds or two minutes of screen time, you, you got who you were dealing with from the male cheerleaders to um, sort of like the rest of the female cheerleaders that filled out the ranks. Do you feel like we got that same sort of shading with the black cheerleaders? No. Not <laughs> yeah. At all. Yeah. Not at all. Like, even to, like, I don't know. I mean, I know that we made a sort of like a joke about not like, I remembered one of the like the super bitchy cheerleaders name, Courtney, and I didn't remember the other woman's name. But like, I know Isis's name because it's Gabrielle Union. Um, yeah. And I knew that like black, the the women that made up black were her trusty like sidekicks. But I don't actually know the names of those characters. No. I don't remember knowing it in the movie. Um, and I didn't, there wasn't anyone else that we, like we saw that there were other cheerleaders who made up the squad. And it was a big squad. But didn't really talk or engage. And maybe it's because yeah. it wasn't their movie necessarily. Yeah. But still, I didn't feel the same way. Yeah. And I'll be honest, it wasn't until I like rewatched or was like prepping that I even knew Gabrielle Union's character's name. Like I just thought of it as like, oh, that Gabrielle Union character, because <laughs> I don't know how many times. And they that, say and it. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they say. It. I don't think they really say it that many times. And maybe again, like in fairness, it's because the movie ultimately isn't about them. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly, it's not about their fight. Like if it was about them, then we'd spend more time in East Compton, right? But it's, it's yeah. interesting. I do think it's funny, though, that, like, Gabrielle Union was, like, 27 when she was filming this, while Kirsten Dunst was the youngest at 17, and they were both playing high schoolers that, like, were the same age. Yeah. I, I Sorry. There's, like, this is so funny because it's, like, the same exact thing that happened in um, 10 Things I Hate About You, where, like, every yes. time Gabrielle Union talks about these movies, she's, like... She sounds like almost like a grizzled vet. Like she's like smoking her cigarette. Yeah. She's like, yeah, it was just, it was wild. Like the kids were running around and I was just hanging out with the parents. Yeah. Like, she, she, so she's like telling a story about how like Black's parents, I guess the girl's parents would be there. And so she would be like, be like let's go get a drink. So she was like hanging out with these like parents. And she said like she needed a lot of Icy Hot because like the the workouts were brutal because in the movie they didn't want um, any stunt doubles doing the cheers so all the actors had to perform the cheers they did like an intensive four week camp and Gabrielle Union apparently Mm -hmm. like because she had a 28 year old's body like just couldn't do it the same way and like had they apparently she couldn't keep up with the moves they had to like do a lot of like upper body shots of her yeah you can sort of see the cuts when they're showing her which i think is is amazing but yeah you can tell a little bit a lot happens in those 10 years yeah a lot a lot happens in those 10 years um, but Gabrielle Union's presence, so I was, um, Nan and I were reading this, like, MTV oral history that came out, um, I guess when it was the 15-year anniversary, it was when it was 2015, and they mentioned, Gabrielle Union mentioned that when she first got the scripts, uh, funny enough, first of all, there was another movie that she wanted to do, like, another cheerleader movie, Sugar and Spice, Yeah, Sugar and right? Spice, the one with the um, Rob a Bank, yeah. Uh, yeah, Shirley is at Rob a Bank, which I've also, to the, it's so funny, because now I've never heard of that movie. So oh, I have, it was yeah. a fail. I re- yeah, I oh, really? I've never heard of it. Yeah. And so she said that she really wanted a part there, but they were like, oh, they're not going ethnic with it. They wanted it to be not that. So she ended up going, she's like, oh, I guess I'll do cheer. I think this movie is really called Cheer Fever, right? Yeah. And bring it on. Yeah. So 
she said, I guess I'll, I'll do this. I'll be at this table read for Cheer Fever. And so that when she originally got the script, that the ISIS character was like, this like foxy brown black exploitation ass stereotype. I'm like rolling my uh, eyes. Which is also like, <laughs> first of all, sorry. Let's just you know, let's park here for a minute. Uh, <laughs> let's it's park here. So park. funny to me. <laughs> I just want to say we're just we're digging just you know a little just a little side uh, a side detour over a detour over here. Uh, but it's so weird that they would think this woman in high school would sound. Like Foxy yes. Brown, black exploitation. Yeah, in oh my God. high school it's from so late nineteen ninety nine. Why would a high school student sound like it's that? So cringy. What? That's yeah. It's so so. It's like I'm. I'm anyway, talk to real black people, guys. I promise you, yes. it helps. Um. So anyway, so Gabrielle Union. So when she got the script, she was like, "This is, what? No." And so she ended up like, you know, helping to shape this dialogue a lot and make it sound like, and she had like a real idea for what she wanted Isis to sound like this like smart woman that is really interested in like, you know, being a successful cheerleader and winning, especially when she knows that they're like, their hard, you know, sort of developed routine that they fought hard to make happen have been stolen. So she really shaped that, that dialogue. She said that, you know, the director would come and say, like, oh, well, do you think ISIS would react this way? So, like, what was actually came up on screen was very different from what the shooting script was what they had. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I guess it helped that Gabrielle was 10 years older because she was yeah. able to sort of have the knowledge of how important it was to make sure that this character sounded like a real person and not this caricature. It's just a shame yeah. that, like, in the rest of the movie that was, like, so well drawn out that the black character still yeah. had this, like, you know... Yeah. This massaging that was needed. Yeah. I mean, she's also was like apparently a sociology major at UCLA. So she like brought that. Yes, hat. yes. I remember reading that. Yeah, she brought but, that in. And she like graduated like fairly recently, I guess. Yeah. Or something. But I, one thing I do think is interesting is just like um, because another interview, I think it was in Vogue that I read, was her saying, and she sounded a bit disappointed in that a lot of the reenactments yeah. or interpretations of that character were like, of like kind of a you know sort of like a neck like waving like like a sassy neck rolling rolling, like finger wagging like sassy black woman and like and also that her character is perceived as the antagonist or villain and she was just like where did that come from and so I guess like one I I do remember like um, not another teen movie how they kind of like satirized it and it was just like welcome so yeah and she's like, it's already been brought. Yeah. And it was like, first of all, can I, can, I have to confess that that not, a not, not another teen movie sort of like parody of her character stayed with me because when I was watching Bring It On today, I was waiting for them to say, well, you bring it. No, well, you bring it. Yeah. But yeah. that never happens no. in the movie. No. No. <laughs> so why was that the parody? Yeah. It's interesting. It, it's that's just, what stuck. It's yeah. what stuck. And it's like brought up an interesting question, which is, you know, do you think of ISIS? Like, okay, so now I watch this movie and I have so much respect for ISIS. Like, them, that her yeah. being, she's just such a leader, right? Like, I love the fact that she yeah. confronts them on their own turf on, at their game because she's like, even though the white girl, mm-hmm. sorry, we'll call her by her name, Torrance, is like, oh, yeah, yes. we won't use your cheers anymore. She doesn't trust, she, does, she knows the history of black people in America. She does, she, and rightfully so. She, she didn't trust them since they were doing the chair. Yeah. She's like, you aren't going to start taking you from must me. Be joking. 
taking from me and profiting from me and then I'm going to expect that you're just going to stop, right? So she marches her ass over there and forces her hand, right? I love that. I love how strong she is. Yeah. I don't know if I read it as that at the time, though. I think I will be honest because... I was not woke when I was 13. I was just reading Sweet Valley. Who woke <laughs> Valley and consuming yeah. very Although white. Gen Z is probably woke at 13. Yeah. Uh, but we were not woke at 13. So I saw her as an antagonist. I thought she was kind of bitchy. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand like yeah. the power of having a black woman who had rage because something very unjust yeah. had happened to her and then seeing her channel it in a very productive, classy way. Like now I watch it and I was like, she is so yeah. classy, right? But at the time, I was like, why is she yeah. so mean to the Taurus, you know? And so did you, how did you react? I know, and it's so funny because I, I think I had a similar reaction. I was like, wow, she's like, it's a lot of, a lot of aggression yeah. coming on <laughs> Which is like, wow, as a, like a black girl being like, oh, that black girl in this movie is yeah. so aggressive. <laughs> um, but she like... I think it's very, I think because of the angry black woman stereotype that you get a lot, you hear a lot about, it's easy to think about anger as like useless or not worth it. And I think, and um, you know, just sort of approach life as sort of being like, well, there's anger doesn't change anything. It actually, you know, makes it hard for people to take you seriously. But there's something about a justifiable rage, like you said, like being able to channel that into something that is productive and useful. So, yeah, like, and yeah. I think, I think, can we just generally talk about, because this is like my favorite part of the movie, is the cultural appropriation narrative, which was yes. totally yes. lost on me when I first watched it. Yeah. Like, I just Completely. did, I just, I just thought it was like, these girls stole from this girl, these other girls, um, but we're spending a lot of time with these white protagonists. I mean, I didn't even see them as white. Kind of like I thought of them as the protagonists, right? Like I didn't see the deeper racial narrative. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that this is like reflecting yeah. something that actually is like very deep to the story of the creation of art and in America. Mm. Uh, and this is why I wanted to do this movie is that I'll just tell you what I generally see, like what I think the ger- general narrative is, and then mm. we can kind of parse it a little. Um, I think what is Mm. revolutionary, and I was being a little facetious when I said, like, this is going to change racial relations in America, but this is like a movie made by white people for a mostly white audience, right? And to have these white people, the the Toros, grapple with the fact that what they have been, like, they've always thought they were the best, but it's because the door was shut to other people, right? That's the first. So they didn't even know who was out there who was better than them. So, you know. Two, Big Red specifically went to East Compton because she knew that they were under-resourced and would never have access, and nobody would ever believe them. Mm. And there was even a point in the movie where they're like, oh, well, it's not like, it's basically their word against ours. It's not like anybody will believe them. And so she went to this place Mm. and extracted their work, extracted their intellectual property, and then the the Torah, the Clovers had to watch these people who they knew were stealing from them get all these accolades, and they knew that they could never say anything about it because they wouldn't be believed, and they could never make it to the same stage because of the, where they were positioned in society. Yeah. That's like a really fucking powerful story for a teen movie. And, and, and yeah. then when the Torahs realize this, because they can't claim ignorance anymore, I think this is an allegory for race mm. relations in the US. They can't claim yeah. ignorance anymore. They're confronted with the truth. Um, 
these black women have told them they have seen it for themselves. Now what are you going to do about that? As we mentioned in the beginning, yeah. a lot of them just were going to continue to use the stolen property, right? They told themselves, I worked yeah. really hard for this. Like, it's not my fault that Big Red stole it, but I put in the hours, you know? Um, yeah. And this is them, yeah. like, and they, our team, the 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 Toros constantly make the wrong decision. First, they are going to just steal from the Clovers, but the Clovers, like, make that very hard, right? At, they put their back against the wall. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to just coast on their privilege. They raise money, and then they're going to hire a choreographer to just do it for them. Yeah. And it's like, finally, they have to do the hard work, right? Um, mm. And they do it. And they realized that, like, even though they won second place, they performed better than they ever had, right? Because it was something that yeah. came from their own sort of creativity. And and I sorry, the other point I have to add is that I think it, it's important that the movie makes it clear that the Toros do not do the Clovers cheers as well as they do, right? <laughs> like, like yeah, it's no, oh, it's, it's a, a it's a watered down it's version, a watered down sure. version yeah. of it, and it kind of reminds me. Um, of this scene in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom at the end. This isn't really a spoiler. It's just that there's a song that is written by a black composer and like it's like blues and like it's it has a sound and at the end of the movie you hear like sort of like a white sort of crooner singing it with like a band and stuff and you've seen the evolution mm. of that and that's like what we see in the scene mm. where the two girl the two squads are doing their cheer side by side, right? Like you see how the black version gets mm. watered down. Um, and so yeah. it shows us that happening. And at the end, yeah. when the white team finally puts the effort in, they are still not as good as the black team, but it's telling us that they're okay with it because they actually like deserved it for once. What? Like, sorry, yeah. I had to just say that because that is yeah. a lot of, like, to, you're essentially telling white people like, mediocrity like you can say you're the best but you're not the best until other people have opportunities and you should yeah. and like seeding or giving way for other people to like actually have opportunities is good for all of us because we're we're gonna improve and we're gonna see the best versions of ourselves right like yeah. when we're not extracting yeah. we're like actually creating in a different way and so that is like why i think that this movie um, for all its like missteps and not having good shading of black characters or whatever, is saying a lot more than yeah. a lot of teen movies were saying at that time about race. Than a lot of other movies, not even just teen movies. Than other movies have said about race. Period. I do, I find I find it fascinating that a movie that is about cheerleading that you think is like fluff is able to like do a better job than you know vaunted like Oscar bait movies that talks about race relations. And it does in a way that isn't like, it's not beating you over the head with it. Yeah, There's some subtlety there. You know, it's not like a sledgehammer sort of, you know, um, message. But it does in a way that is like simple, comprehensible, um, and entertaining, you know? Yeah. And so, so much of the issue in America with race relations is that we don't have a language for how to talk about race in a way that doesn't make people feel uncomfortable or defensive um and it's just something that we've continued to struggle with for hundreds and hundreds of years yeah. <laughs> we have yet to resolve that um and i find I, I i it's so interesting to me that this movie does it in a way it confronts something very um complicated and complex mm -hmm. and does it in a way that 
is deceptively simple, but it still imparts lessons if you're actually paying attention. But it's also easy for it to fly over your head. It, that's um, and and I think for people that watched it, um, some people got that and some people didn't. I don't know that I got. I did not get all of this nuance when I was thirteen. I didn't. Yeah. Um, watching it now as an adult, like twenty years later, it's like, oh wow, okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. Uh, there's this line that I think is just like such like a a great, and I keep I know I keep I keep going back to the line specifically, but I just think they're just really witty and well done. But it's such like a great summation of cultural appropriation. It's let me I'm gonna read it out. Okay. I really like it. Isis says, every time we get somewhere or we get some here, y'all I, I really can't say y'all, but it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Y'all come trying to steal it. Putting this blonde hair on it and calling it something different. Wow. And it's so like let me snap a few times. You know what I mean? Like I'm sorry, like snap, like ashe, ashe. I bet it was Gabrielle well, who, who you, like gave us that line too. I wouldn't be surprised. That would make sense, honestly, because it's just like it think about it. It sounds like a high schooler would say something like yeah. that. It doesn't sound overly like, you know, um sort of erudite. But you get what she's saying and it instantly paints that picture for you. Um, I just, it's, it's a smart movie. It's like a smart, yeah. like for all of its faults, it's a smart like movie. Um, and it's, I just think it's so fascinating that a movie like this, that was, is a, an iconic high school movie, teen movie is able to do something that so many other more like high brow intellectual movies have failed at. Um, and I don't know that it's ever gotten as much credit as it should for being able to like sum up all of this, even with the like upending the sort of the white savior, the white yeah. guilt trope where ice is like rips up the check and says, no, we're going to get it on our own. Cause think about, think about how much of a different movie would be if the reason that the clothes were able to yeah. get to nationals is because they got a check from Torrance's dad. So then they win, but Torrance and her dad can feel like, Oh, they had some, you know, they can take pride in helping make mm-hmm. that happen. It's like, oh, well, it's because of us that you can. Um, and I know that in the interview with Gabrielle Union, she said that she wanted to be very clear that she would never want to be in debt to other people for making sure to be clear that they're champions. She wouldn't want that, and it didn't make sense for the squad to, to have to be in debt to this so-called like white savior, who is also the, perp- like, the perpetrator of wrongdoings against them, yeah. knowingly or not. Uh, it, it would have it would have undercut the message so I think it's great uh, that that was that those clear boundaries were made um, and I'm not surprised that people think or perceive Gabrielle Union's character as a bit of a villain because at the end when and we talked about this earlier where she says yeah we were better people are like well how could she say you we were you were better and like she said that people had a reaction to that and Gabrielle Union says in the oral history it's like I don't know why because it's just clearly true from what the movie yeah. says. So for you to react to that yeah. is interesting. It's like it's a lot yeah. of perception, yeah. you know. Um, so I mean, obviously, like we we love to bring it. We love bring it on. Clearly, yeah. Um, Let's end this romance podcast off with because we talked about the racial reckoning in America white people actually stepping aside and letting people of color especially black people compete and seeing where the cards fall (laughs) but that's important we did talk about what about the road we both got on our soapboxes a little bit but (laughs) we've put them we've put them we put them away now guys but yeah no so the romance so I like I thought it was such a sweet love story like it was not 
the center of it, but it was sweet. Like there's the beginning when they meet each other and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not like a meet cute in like the like real meet cute sense of the word, but like, you know, uh, Cliff shows up in the classroom, right? And he's wearing a t-shirt uh, that's about the clash. Uh, it's a clash like band t-shirt. And uh, Torrance asks about the band. She's like, oh, is that your band? I know. I cringe she doesn't a know little. who the clash oh, is. sweet child. I cringe a little bit sweet too. Child. I cringe a little bit too. I know. You sweet <laughs> summer child. Um, and Cliff, it's very easy for him to sort of be like, because he, he seems to be that sort of like edgy, like indie cool character. Guy, like, yeah. oh, look at this blonde cheerleader. I'm so cool. She doesn't know about bands. But he doesn't sort of like, and this is, I think this is just a theme about the women in this movie. He doesn't denigrate her or like put her down. He's like, oh no, they're like, he's like, oh, you know, they're a British rock band from blah, 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 blah. She's like, oh, you must really like them or something. You know, yeah. she's like, oh, that's right. He's like, yeah, I do. And that's it. Like he's, it's never a time where it feels like he talks down, uh, doesn't take her. Yeah. Talks down to her as condescending or doesn't take her seriously. And, he, and I think she's intrigued by him because like. It's clear in like this like Rancho Carnes High School that they didn't seem to have like indie people like him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what that's what sort of what draws her to him in the first place. Uh, but what did you think of their romance? I thought it was cute. I kind of wondered cuz the way that they like get she's intrigued by him is basically he comes in and the jocks are like loser and then he kind of like is smart and is like that's like a really like old trick. You know, it's not it doesn't show a lot of like Yeah. Sort of, wit and he's like kind of but he's saying it in like yeah. a witty way and she's like hmm and so especially when you see her when you see her boyfriend who's this kind of like himbo like male cheerleader character he's like a puppy yeah it's he like, reminds me of like he's like a golden retriever in human form yeah he's just kind of like there's not much there a part of me is like what I'm trying to like this is to our point where I can't quite pin her down which is like what was it about this guy yeah. like that attracted her when like she'd been into something so different but they really sell the attraction yeah. and i think what i love about it is that it really captures when you like meet someone who's just kind of interesting to you and you're constantly yeah. trying to find excuses to be around each other and then that starts escalating mm. and so it'll be like she yeah. sleeps over at missy's house and she like is walking yeah. through the house and she stops by his room and she sees him playing guitar and her friend is like girl what are you doing yeah. by my brother's room and then she goes to brush his her teeth and he is immediately thereafter which means he like knew she was going to brush her teeth so like followed her right and they yeah. have this really cute scene yeah. with her would like tell tell about the tooth I love brushing. that toothbrushing scene yeah I love it because it's like and I think the way the director describes it Peyton Reed it's like it's and the producers too it's like when you have like the first, the beginnings of that crush you have on someone yeah. and you're like, just in, like you just, like you say, you just want to be around them. And so what's so great is that they don't say anything in that toothbrushing team. It's like them looking at each other and sort of like <laughs> spitting toothpaste in the sink and doing it back and forth. But you, it's just like, it's the burgeoning of like a love story, yeah. you know, like, or some sort of like, it's just like, oh, this is a new person that I quite like. And they seem to quite like me too. Yeah. How this is gonna play out? But like, you just feel as the energy sort of is like, oh, okay, there's gonna be something more here. And they're like smiling at each other. And then I mean, they're just brushing their teeth. But it's just, it says so much without saying a lot. Um, and I and I and I thought that 
I, I just it just gives me like a you know yeah. like a nice soft feeling. Yeah. It's Ed, very cute. And sorry, the last thing I'll say about that is there's a scene where she's at sleeping because I can imagine this. I never had a crush on any of my friends' brothers, but you can imagine feeling that yeah, way yeah, where yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, she's in the next room, right? right? And there's a scene where yeah, she's like yeah. kind of smiling off to herself and she like turns her head and then there's a dissolve and he's doing the same thing and for a moment it kind of looks like they're like in bed. At the, in the same bed but like mm-hmm. it gives you the sense that they're both yeah. thinking about the same thing and thinking about each other and I've definitely had at least a feeling of that like I was staying in the same house with someone that I was like into and just like that the, just yeah. the mere fact of it just makes you feel so warm inside when you're like going to bed so I, I just loved it I, I thought it was adorable it's just was so adorable. cute yeah it was very adorable it was very adorable and it's so it it doesn't overpower the story it's just like a welcome part yeah like it's just and it sort of shows again like i guess the full sort of like depth of her character like she's going like i guess you're right it is her senior year i remember this now because her boyfriend was saying that she was going to be a freshman when he was a sophomore but she's going through all of these like changes that you can see are going to sort of um set her on a different course for life a little bit, like, mm-hmm. and just, start, like, her worldview. Um, and so she's, like, getting a boyfriend that is a little bit more complex. Yeah. Or someone is interested in someone like that that's not, like, her usual environment. And she's learning more, like, her back, like, her world has been shattered, but when she realizes that they've been stealing routines from a very well, um, sort of deserving competitor that hasn't had the chance to be on the same playing field. So she's, like, shifting, and so you can see him being part of that evolution. It is That's interesting to sort of just see point. her develop. Even as you even as you say you don't we don't really have a read on her, but you can see that she's developing to someone that's a bit more um, expansive. Complicated and expansive, mm-hmm. right? Isn't and isn't just like the one thing that she was when she started out. And isn't that what you want? Yeah. And I guess we bring back to personal growth, but she's actually like personally growing and developing. Um in this movie. So Yay. personal I take it back. Personal growth is not for suckers. We've come full circle. Full Look circle. At that, guys. Boom. Okay, that was the time to end it because we we conclu- we've closed Yeah, the no, we gotta cut it off here. Like we should yeah, where like like finish while we're ahead. So yeah, so that was bring it on, guys. Yay. Uh you know, like I said, yay! Like I said, like we said at the beginning of the episode, like if you guys have thoughts about bring it on or what we've talked about with the movie. Um, or about vulnerability or things you want to, you know, say, please send us voice notes, ROM squad, and we'll put you in an episode. Please, woo, woo. please, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. And Nadine. Right, now you want to do our we love you. Oh, yeah, Nadine. <laughs> Nadine, thank you. You're the best friend. We love you. Thanks for taking the plunge. Um, first, it was Cousin Gina. Now we've got Nadine. Who will it be next episode, yeah. guys? Could be you. Let's see. Could be you. But yeah, you know, we have our email address which we'll put in the show notes. Um, or you can also just like, you know, yeah, reach out to us on Instagram. And yeah. But now you want to do our HEAs? Yeah, sure. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Real quick thing I want to say is I know Misan is always saying books for her HEAs, so she seems like the literate one while I do like Bonnie Raitt songs. <laughs> <laughs> And wow. <laughs> this is the primary. I know. She's the one who's always talking about books and I'm doing songs and movies. And this today I'm gonna do a TV series. 
God. But I, I swear I read. I just don't always do Asian She does read a lot. She I hasn't, just, yeah, yeah, she hasn't found one in a book yet, but yeah, she does read a lot. Because if I don't love, a, like I've read a couple romantic books, but I haven't loved them, so I'm not going to give them to you. And then I've read non-romantic books, okay? So I'm literate too, bitches. Okay, so. <laughs> but the, the, the my HEA is a show on Netflix called Summertime. I don't know. Do you know this, Misan, the show? I don't think oh, so. Okay. Tell us more about it. Okay. So this is a show that take. it's an Italian show, and it takes place, I believe it's like the mm-hmm. Italian Riviera or some like region, and it's about this girl who's mixed race. She's a black woman. Oh, yeah. I do know yeah. it. I've seen the trailer. I just haven't watched yeah. it. Yeah. And so she, it's in its second season now, but she basically, her name is Summer. That's mm. why it's called Summertime. And... Um, mm. first season, like, she, she, it's basically her love story with this guy who's, like, an Italian motocross driver. They're both, like, she, at the time the show starts, I think she may Ooh, be a motocross. She's, like, 17 or 18, and you get the sense he's a few years okay. older, but more or less the same age. Um, and mm. I think what I love about this show is that their love story is really cute. I, it's not a perfect show. There are, like, some boring parts that just feel free to fast-forward yeah. through, like, her parents I don't care about. Yeah. It's the aesthetic. It's a vibe. So it's, like, super bright colors, crystalline waters, like, blues mm. and color mm. block everywhere. Like, sh- Summer herself yeah. is really into, like, Italian. I don't know what you call that genre, but Italian kind of crooning music from, like, the 60s and 70s. So that's, like, part of the background. But then you're also getting, like, Italian pop music and, like, punk rock. And she's kind of, like, a skater kid. So that's a little bit of her aesthetic. And, her, you know, it's just a mm. show filled with beautiful, sun-drenched people and just beautiful scenery. And then the guy that she's in love with, Ale, Alessandro, is, like, has that thing that I told you I love which is like a sleepy white boy swagger his eyes are always like kind of hooded and half closed (laughs) he's got like kind of messy blonde hair big blue eyes that are always kind of at half tilt and then like he's like he's got that southern European hairiness so like sometimes it's like the chest hair is coming (laughs) 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 so basically I like liked the show I watched it like a year or two ago Something put me in the mood when I was like, hang- I just was like, let me watch some old episodes from season one. And I did that. And then all of a sudden yeah. I see season two's like, like, so it's just like, it was like almost like fate. It was like, okay, now season two. And ah, I, yeah. So I just watched season two. I recommend it. But like I said, there are some subplots that are just boring. Fast forward. I don't care about motocross. I fast forwarded through a lot of those parts. And the (laughs) last thing I'll say about the show, and this isn't really a spoiler. It's just like Summer's best friend is a gay, like a young gay woman who is so beautiful. I could just look at her all day. Um, And she has this really close friendship with Ale's best friend, who is a straight man. And I actually feel like they're the central love story. It's like a beautiful platonic love story between a gay woman and a straight man. It's it's the best love story of the whole. Like they love each other so much, and it's so refreshing to see something like that. Yeah, it's really. Oh, look at that friendship. Yeah, friendship is such. Friendship is just as important love story as like um, pure romantic love. And I think sometimes it's. I think it's in pop culture. Um, friendship doesn't get as much sort of like attention as it deserves, but friendship is so key to our lives as humans, you know? Um, it's not just like romantic love that like gives us lifeblood. If you don't have friendship, oof, feel bad for you. 
Uh, so that's really cool. Yeah, I guess so I'll watch check it, it out. Yeah, okay, watch Summertime it. on Netflix. Season 2 is now streaming. All right, so my HEA this week is called Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. So it's a second chance romance. It's two uh, black writers. They're like fame. Like they're part of like this like, you know, black literati. Mm-hmm. They like fell in love in high school and it took mm-hmm. them seven days to do that. And then they hadn't seen each other in like 15 years. And then they see each other again after all that time. Um, and it sort of spans them, you know, finding each other again within seven days. And so the woman in the story, her name is Eva Mercy. She's a single mom and she writes erotica. Uh, and people does, it doesn't see people take her very seriously because she writes like vampire erotica, but she's written it for ages and it's very yeah. successful. But it's not like, you know, intellectual, right? Yeah. It's not solving race relations in America, perhaps. Uh, and so people <laughs> take her less seriously. And her, you know, love interest, her counterpart is this guy, Shane Hall, who's reclusive. He's, um, he's almost like ta Coates, I guess, is sort of maybe the qu- equivalent of, of who he's being portrayed at is in the book. And he's won a lot of awards for writing. So he's like the intellectual one that they take seriously. And so people had no uh... idea that they ever knew each other. But they run into each other at a literary event and sparks fly. And suddenly, like, the it's almost like they're, like, in Brooklyn. Like, it's like that Brooklyn world of, like, you mm-hmm. know, black know. artists, like, dancer. You, you, I mean, you lived in Brooklyn, so you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, I was never and really so, so thing, like, but oh. I wished I was. <laughs> I know. I, I, as I read this, I was like, man, there's no room for a, a lawyer or a media executive? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? Doesn't media, doesn't entertainment count for me to get in here? No. Anyway. Uh, so there was a bit of envy there. Uh, so so they like so this it shows them sort of like getting drawn into drawn to each other again like sort of like inexplicably and what I loved about this book is that it's funny um, it talks about like you know what people care about is like you know black people in their thirties like we are um, in twenty twenty one and it's just it's clever and I buy their love story I mean there's a part at the end that I sort of was like oh you could have made a better choice oh. but in general it's like a fun love story that's clever um Eva's daughter is like hilarious she's got like a like a preteen or like early teen daughter that is like just a total firecracker and is having her own experience and just having them be all of a part of that story is fun uh so check it out it's second chance romance uh seven days in june by tia williams it's it's i i i think it's one of the best um Love stories I've read with just like purely black, you know, you know, a black main uh, character, male main character and a female main character. Because a lot of the books I've been talking about, it's like you sort of like they, they haven't been black. Yeah. Uh, but this one, I think, has been it's I, I, it's 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 not often you see a love story with black protagonists that's not necessarily set in like 1825. Yeah. Right. Or set during the Civil War, you know what I mean? Like usually, like we have Beverly Jenkins for writing great stories that are historical. But sometimes it's fun to be able to read a story that's a contemporary romance, and it feels like people that you know we probably haven't been to a party with because we're not part of the black literati, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But <laughs> but we've but we've read their books. They're on the New York Times bestseller. We've read their books, or we're in like you know the fun like you know comic-con uh facebook groups for to go and hang out and meet these meet this meet this author so it felt very of now and today and i don't think you see that as often as you should unfortunately so seven days in june yeah t williams check it out i think you guys will like it 
Yeah. And that's that. Yep. And just well, the last note, we, we will also put, um, so we'll put these, these HEAs in the show notes. We'll also put the oral history in the show notes. Read the show notes, y'all. Read it. Please. They're important for a reason. They're there for a reason. Uh, and Nana, you want to tell these people what we're going to be uh, talking about two weeks from now? Yeah. So basically, episode? guys, we have our like Africa medallions. We are like now very pro black. <laughs> because after watching, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this right now. I do not have an Africa medallion. <laughs> I was born in Africa, but I do not own one. Sorry. We, have, <laughs> we are blackity black, black, black. At least, at least for next week. Um, so we're gonna do <laughs> the first black rom com, which is the yeah, because we did um, what you might call it, uh, lovers rock, but it was in a rom com. And so our first black yeah, rom com yeah. is gonna be classic, the best man. Um, it's streaming on Netflix, so if you want to watch before right. we release, look for that. It stars Tay Diggs, who I don't think is as cute as everyone else. Yeah, thinks, I think I, I concur. Who is delicious. <laughs> yeah. Man. So yeah, look look out for that episode next week. That's right. Uh, I think or that's, two weeks from now. Yeah, no, two weeks. Yeah, I was gonna say next. It's not gonna be next week, guys. We love you though. Uh, I'm. That's right. So best man, two weeks from now. Uh, so but like we said, guys, Rom Squad, please send us your thoughts on this episode, or if you have opinions or want to debate things, let us know. Uh, and I guess that's been hell yeah for this week. We'll talk to you guys in two weeks from now. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.